is Camilla, and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Hi, lovely people, and welcome back to a new episode of The Cat's Whisker. Today, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite artists ever. Many purists will tell you that the true rock and roll was all made before 1960. Well, if we want to believe that theory, one of the people that we certainly need to mention is Eddie Cochran. And nowadays, unfortunately, he is not as well known as many other stars like Elvis or Little Richard, but his songs and style deeply influenced all the music that came after him. Ray Edward Cochran was born on October the 3rd, 1938 in Minnesota or Oklahoma. The biographers actually love to fight about this particular issue. One thing is for sure though, he loved music from the get-go and interestingly enough, his first instrument was the drums. He joined the school band when he was only 12 and after the drums he started playing the trombone. His teachers weren't really happy with it and suggested he'd switch to the clarinet, but when the young Eddie saw a clarinet for the first time, he was so horrified that said he would quit unless they would let him play what he wanted. After this awkward situation, apparently, his older brother showed him some chords on his dusty guitar. And that was love at first sight. Eddie started playing and picked it up very, very quickly. Not long after, Eddie left his family home to move to his brothers in California. I'm not sure if this is true, but I found an amazing anecdote about his moving. Two cars were completely packed with stuff, and even if there was literally no room left, Eddie would still not give up on the desire of taking his guitar with him. His mom looked at him and said, For pity's sake, Eddie, with all the other odds and ends that we have to carry, that guitar isn't the prized possession in this household, you know? And he said, Possession, mom? This guitar is my best friend! Soon after moving to Bell Gardens, California, he starts playing more and more and soon becomes friends with two like-minded kids who played upright bass and lead guitar, and they all start a trio together. They used to rehearse in the back of a music shop whose owner would be the person that would sell Eddie his famous Gretsch 6120. Within a couple of years, the group plays at different venues and Eddie gets better and better. He could pick up a melody really, really quickly and his playing style emulated the one of his idols, Chet Atkins and Joe Mathis. He would religiously listen to their records to figure out what they were playing and he usually didn't have to listen to a song many times before mastering it to perfection. He was a natural. It was October 1954 when he saw a band called Richard Kay and the Shamrock Valley Boys at the American Legion Club. In between sets, Eddie starts chatting to them and they even let him get on stage for a few numbers. That's how he becomes friends with the band's rhythm guitarist who tells Eddie You should meet this guy. He's a professional singer and he's looking for someone to start a band with. His name is Hank Cochran. I know what you're thinking. A long lost brother, a cousin. Nope, they just happen to have the same surname. 
Not long after that concert, Eddie and Hank met. And that's how, at the beginning of 1955, when he was only 16, Eddie decides to leave school and start a band with Hank. Eddie would play lead guitar and sing harmonies, whilst Hank became the lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist. The two will be then known as the Cochrane Brothers. Not long after, bassist Billy Watson joined them. Life on the road was stressful, but interesting. Eddie had never seen himself as much of a singer before and that new role was a little uncomfortable at first, but little by little, the Cochrans became a very well-respected band on the West Coast country scene. So much so that they managed to take part in the prestigious Hometown Jamboree, a concert televised every Sunday, and another show called Town Hall Party. That was an amazing opportunity to showcase their talent and climb the ladder of success. That's how they get noticed by a small music label called Echo that was starting to sign local acts. In May 1955, which was literally just a few months after they started the band, the Cochrans record four tracks in country hillbilly style. When Hank and Eddie listened to Elvis Presley for the first time and saw him in Dallas in 1955, that's when they realized their music was changing forever. They were absolutely in awe of him and religiously listened to his records and watched his television appearances. That created a big switch in their music. They decided to leave country and pursue rock and roll. They wanted to be famous and things started to change for the better when in October 1955, whilst buying a new set of strings, Eddie meets Jerry Capehart, definitely a key character in this story. Jerry Capehart was a songwriter, but not really much of a singer, and was desperately looking for someone to demo his songs. Soon, the Cochrans and Capehart start working together and building a very strong artistic collaboration. And even if Capehart wasn't a singer, his enthusiasm was infectious and that really made him an amazing salesman for the band. These are the qualities that will soon make him Eddie's mentor, manager and co-writer of many songs. In January 1956, the Cochrans joined the cast of a California TV program and get increasingly noticed. Then, in one of the following recording sessions in April, Eddie writes his first rock and roll tune, a song inspired by Carl Perkins' Blue Suede Shoes, and it's called Pink Peg Slacks. This is a song that started to determine his original singing voice. Deep and playful, a singing style that couldn't care less about the rules, just like rock and roll. He was already embodying that massive change that was spreading in society through stages and jukeboxes. Especially when Elvis started, everyone knew that if you wanted to do rock and roll, you needed to stand out. But that's not the only reason why Eddie Cochran should really be there on the altar of the rock and roll kings. The music industry had just started experimenting with multi-track recording, remember Les Paul and Mary Ford? And Cochran embraced this new technology, fully experimenting with voice overdubbing and overdriven guitar tracks using reverb and echo. These techniques, especially the double-tracked voice, will then develop fully in the 60s with producers like George Martin. And since Eddie Cochran's music was very influential in Europe, it is absolutely sure that his experimentation influenced all the great production of the British Invasion. In 1956, a very important change happens in Cochran's career. Jerry Capehart and Eddie 
started to work together more often, whilst Hank Cochran, who was now a family man, didn't feel like the role of a rock star was right for him. So the three parted ways in 1956. Eddie gets acquainted with Liberty Records, a new label that, like everyone else at the moment, was looking for the new Elvis. And when they saw Eddie, they were hooked. And it didn't take long before the first proper record arrived alongside a film offer. The record was the famous 20 Flight Rock, the song that we've listened to at the beginning of this episode. Not many know that Cochrane worked only on one of the final drafts of the lyrics and on the music, because the words were written by Nelda Fairchild, a talented woman that didn't really fancy her life in the limelight and used to sell her songs and perform in small bands to help out her family. Only three people can be heard on the recording. Cochrane, obviously, playing guitar and singing, Connie Smith on the double bass, and Jerry Capehart, who was slapping a soup box. Cochrane will start filming his small cameo while he's playing 20 Flight Rock for Dora Me, a film with Jane Mansfield. It was a very small part, but the film was huge. Dora Me will later be commercialized as The Girl Can Help It. A great film with lots of rock and roll stars such as Little Richard, Fats Domino, The Platters, Gene Vincent and many others. And that's not even his only on-screen experience. He would sing Cotton Picker in Untamed Youth in 1957 and Teenage Heaven in Go Johnny Go in 1959. Not long after 20 Flight Rock, Cochrane recorded a song that was a hit for John Dee, Sitting in the Balcony. This song definitely put him on a map, even surpassing John Dee on the charts. Unfortunately, after the success of Sitting in the Balcony, Cochrane was struggling to find again a good place in the charts. He kept releasing songs and spent a lot of time in the recording studio, but his new records weren't really as convincing as the first one. Until June 1958, Eddie Cochrane releases his newest single. The A-side is called Love Again, and the B-side is Summertime Blues. And as it sometimes happens, the B-side was the actual gem. The DJs kept playing it and it got to number 8 in the Hot 100. It is an amazing song in pure rock and roll style. The struggle of being a teenager, having to work to earn pocket money, hearing your parents call you a slacker and not being able to go out with your girlfriend. This song spoke to a generation and so many acts covered it, even the Rolling Stones and The Who. And since Summertime Blues worked, Cochrane and Capehart immediately thought of a very similar and winning combination in the form of Come On Everybody. I'm not gonna lie, the two songs are very similar, but can be enjoyed each one in its own way. I have to admit it though, Summertime Blues is my favorite. What about you? Let me know. It's during these years that Eddie starts a relationship with songwriter Sharon Sheely. She had been following him for two years, hoping that he would fall in love with her, and when they finally confessed their love to each other at a New Year's party, the two quickly got engaged. Their collaboration will bring us amazing songs such as Something Else, which she wrote with Eddie's brother Bob, and will be published years later. But that's not the only important relationship that Eddie developed in that period. A special friendship blossoms with colleague Jean Vincent. The two completed each other. If Cochrane was very handsome, polite and the perfect image of the 50s rock star, Vincent was definitely rougher around the edges. The two were very good at complimenting each other and that's how they start touring together in the UK.
and that would be the last time he would see his country. It is very sad for me to note in a way that Eddie knew something would happen to him. In fact, a little over a year before his UK tour, he experienced a very traumatic event. The death of his friends and colleagues, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Giles Perry Richardson, known as the Big Bopper. Eddie was particularly close to Holly and Valens, and he was deeply shaken by their tragic death in a plane crash. After this event, he starts to have a morbid premonition that he would also die young. In memory of his friends, Eddie recorded Three Stars, written by Tommy D, a heartbreaking song that alternates melody and a special dedication to each one of his friends. It is a real tearjerker. And you can tell listening to it that it was especially hard for him to do those talking parts. He was only 20 and his world had just been turned upside down. When later on Vincent would remember these weeks of tour in the UK, he often considered them as the happiest of his life. Cochrane and him were very much like brothers and loved performing together. On the other hand, for Cochrane, that very intense period was quite hard. With two shows a night, he seemed to spend a lot of the time he wasn't on stage drinking. He just couldn't wait to go back home to America. Little did he know that his story would have taken a seriously different turn. Vincent and Cochrane had to perform one last show before going back to the US, the Bristol Hippodrome. After the end of the gig at 10.30, the party, made up of Cochrane and his girlfriend Sharon Sheely, Jean Vincent and tour manager Patrick Tompkins took a taxi to the airport. It was a 100-mile trip and the 19-year-old driver, interestingly enough named George Martin, wanted to make sure everyone got to Heathrow in time for the one o'clock plane. After taking a wrong turn, the driver decides to change route and goes back where he came from. The car started to break, but the high speed combined with the darkness of the Wiltshire countryside led to the inevitable. He completely lost control of the car that started spinning around, bouncing on the curves on both sides of the road. After this crazy backward run, the car finally stopped when it hit a lamppost. Whilst the car was moving, the roof separated and one of the passengers' doors opened from the impact. Cochrane, that had dived in order to protect Sheely, was pushed outside of the car by the force of the crash. He suffered a very big traumatic brain injury and never regained consciousness. He was taken to St. Martin's Hospital in Bath, but died not long after. He was only 21. His body returned to the United States after the incident. Jean Vincent, still injured, insisted on flying back home with his friend Eddie. We arrived here together and we'll go back home together, he said. Eddie Cochran is now buried in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Cypress, California. And if you live in the UK, there is a plaque both on the site of the incident in Chippenham and at the hospital where he died. Interestingly enough, after the incident, all the objects found on the scene were taken to the police station. There, a police cadet named David Harmon secretly gets hold of Eddie's guitar and teaches himself how to play. Not long after, he would leave the police force and under the pseudonym Dave D decided to start a rock and roll band named Dave D, Dozy Beaky, Mick and Titch. 
definitely a mouthful. They had hits in the 60s such as The Legend of Sanadu or Hold Tight. And they're still going. This story really makes us think, what if Eddie Cochran had not left us that night, decades ago? What if Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens had not died either? Would they still be legends? What other songs could have they given us? In a way, I feel like it's impossible not to wonder the what if of it all. But at the same time, I find the fact that they died so young, so heartbreakingly rock and roll. The music was and will always be a massive form of inspiration for all the musicians to come. And I'm sure it hasn't become legendary because of their death. It is indeed sad and intriguing though. When we ask ourselves, what if they had lived? What if they had continued making music? We are confident they would have been successful. They would have given us more. And that's an interesting feeling that we don't really experience for the living. That's probably why, as humans, we are so intrigued by these tragedies. Because they make us realize that we can do more before it's too late. Or, well, they make us depressed because they were so young but did so many things, but more than what I did in my 27 years, for example. But don't they become superhumans that way? Well, probably what we should do is just listen to their music and remember them as the kids they were and they intended to be while singing those songs full of hope in a changing world. The episode ends here. I really hope you liked it. Let me know what you think about it. And I would really like to thank Graham Pugh, whose website about Eddie Cochran inspired a lot of what you've heard here. Also because it's very, very hard to find information about Eddie Cochran, weirdly. Graham, you really are Eddie's number one fan. Remember to follow me on my social media. You can find me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker Podcast and on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker. I post a lot of extra stuff there, so make sure you follow me. And I'll see you next week. Ciao!